This week on the Electronic Intifada podcast, why Palestine solidarity activists are organizing around the hunger striking prisoners in California jails. There's a very real consciousness among the prisoners in California that this is a global struggle against these same issues and that what's happening in California is uh, linked to what's happening in Palestine and is linked to what happened in, in Ireland and what happened in those prisons there. A major victory for free speech and Palestine activism as the U.S. Department of Education throws out three separate legal claims filed by Israel-aligned individuals and groups against the University of California. What organizers are expecting for next month's Students for Justice in Palestine's National Conference, plus headlines from our top stories of the week, and more original music by Revolution Makers, a hip-hop duo in Gaza. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman, Associate Editor for the Electronic Intifada in Oakland. First, we go to news headlines. These are some of the top stories of the week published on the Electronic Intifada. Patrick O. Strickland reported this week that during the early morning hours of Monday, August 26th, undercover and uniformed Israeli forces invaded Kalandia refugee camp near the occupied West Bank city of Ramallah during an arrest operation. When residents confronted them, clashes ensued. Eyewitnesses who spoke to the electronic intifada, as well as human rights groups and the United Nations, have contradicted key elements of Israel's claims about the invasion that left dead three Palestinian civilians, including an employee of the UN refugee agency, UNRWA. Kalandia is home to some 11,000 United Nations registered Palestinian refugees. Nearly half of its population are 14 years old or younger. The invading Israeli soldiers met resistance from local residents, who threw stones at the military jeeps as they tried to navigate the narrow alleyways of the camp. During the clashes, soldiers fired live ammunition at the crowd, fatally wounding three young Palestinian men, 20-year-old Jihad Aslan, 22-year-old Yunus Jahju and 34-year-old Rubin Abdulrahman Zayed, who was a UN employee. A report released by Human Rights Watch referring to medical sources states that five of the 18 people wounded by gunfire during the clashes were under 18 years old, and 12 of the 18 required surgery. According to Al Jazeera, 3,000 people came to the funeral on Tuesday and marched with the families of the deceased. And in Gaza, the Electronic Intifada reported on Sunday that the Egyptian army began demolishing homes along the country's border with the Gaza Strip, an Israeli-style tactic carried out under the pretext of creating a buffer zone to, quote, reduce weapon smuggling and illegal crossings by militants. In fact, Egypt is tightening its side of the Israeli blockade of the Gaza Strip, deepening the economic and medical crisis faced by the territory's almost 1.7 million Palestinian residents. Meanwhile, the UN reports that Israel more than doubled its number of violent attacks on Gaza fishermen in the first half of this year. Since the military coup that overthrew Egypt's elected President Mohamed Morsi on July 3rd, Egyptian authorities have kept the Rafah border crossing with Gaza closed for prolonged periods or operating far below normal levels. For more analysis, news, opinion and activism features, visit electronicintifada.net. It has been nearly 60 days since incarcerated persons in prisons across California began a hunger strike 
of the 30,000 who began striking, demanding basic human rights and an end to the draconian practice of long-term solitary confinement, approximately 40 are still refusing to eat. Two weeks ago, a judge ruled that the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation can begin force-feeding persons in prison, a practice that has been used against hunger-striking detainees at Guantanamo Bay by the U.S. Army, a practice that is widely condemned. Of the 80,000 prisoners in the U.S. in solitary confinement, 12,000 are in California. At the Pelican Bay State Prison alone, approximately 1,500 persons are in small windowless cells, and about 400 have been in solitary confinement for more than a decade. Palestine solidarity activists in California have been organizing actions to support the demands of the hunger-striking prisoners across the state and have been connecting the struggle of Palestinians using hunger strikes to resist repressive conditions in Israeli prisons to the hunger strikers in California. Ademir, the Palestinian prisoners' advocacy group, issued a statement last week that said, quote, seven Palestinian prisoners remain on long-term hunger strikes as they continue to fight for their freedom and dignity. Ayman Tbish and Adel Harebat, who have both been on hunger strike for more than 100 days, are currently being held at Kaplan Medical Center. Both prisoners are refusing medical tests and vitamins at the hospital due to their inhumane treatment. They are shackled to their beds by a hand and a leg at all times and are only allowed to use the shower and bathroom once a day, where they remain shackled by their legs. Furthermore, they are forced to urinate in cardboard boxes from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., as they are not allowed to use the restrooms during these times. And Ayman Hamdan, who has been on a hunger strike for more than 120 days, had his administrative detention renewed for a third time on August 20th. Upon learning this, he boycotted all vitamins and supplements for four days until the Israeli prison service threatened him with force-feeding if he did not comply with the hospital doctors. Joining us to talk about this are two guests, Azadeh Zohrabi of the Legal Services for Prisoners with Children and the Prisoner Hunger Strike Solidarity Coalition, and Lara Kiswani of the Arab Resource and Organizing Center. Azadeh and Lara, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks for having us. Azadeh, let's start off with you. Can you tell us about the latest news on the hunger strike protests that are still going on inside California prisons, what they're demanding, and how the state has responded? Um, yes, uh, you mentioned earlier that there's about 40 people who are still on hunger strike, and those are people who have been on hunger strike continuously since July 8th. Um, today is their 57th day. Um, however, they're not the only ones on hunger strike. There's about 150 other people who are also on hunger strike. They just haven't been on hunger strike continuously, so they may have came off hunger strike and then restarted their hunger strike. We've also noticed that since um, Two weeks ago when the when a federal court in California gave permission to the Department of Corrections in California to begin force feeding people that many protesters have rejoined the hunger strike in protest of this force feeding order so we see the numbers are rapidly going up so far the state of California has not engaged in negotiations with the hunger strikers nor have they addressed uh, the demands of the hunger strikers in any reasonable or meaningful way um, the 
the prisoners who are on hunger strike are demanding um, an end to the administrative abuse that they face. Um, a lot of these things happen with very little due process and very little transparency, um, and people are spending decades in solitary confinement under these conditions uh, that are not uh, conditions that are given to them as part of their sentence uh, with the court when they're sentenced to prison. It's completely done administratively um, in secrecy using confidential evidence that can't be challenged. Um, they're also asking for better food. A lot of them are complaining about the nutritional inadequacy of the food that they're given. A lot of them are asking for um, more contact with their families, uh, better conditions, more time out of their cells, uh, and an end to long-term solitary confinement, this practice that allows the department to hold them in cells by themselves for 40 or more years. Lara Kiswani, this sounds shockingly similar to the conditions that Palestinian prisoners are facing in Israeli jails and detention centers. Can you talk about how this struggle in California connects to the Palestinian struggle for human rights and why solidarity activists are organizing around the hunger strikes inside California prisons? Yes, definitely. There's very organic connections and links between what's happening here with prisoners in California and across the U.S., and what's happening with prisoners in Palestine or in the Zionist state of Israel. Um, you know, the U.S. exports torture tactics and policing strategies all across the world and specifically in the, within the state of Israel. And they share surveillance technology, um, police training, and military training. So the fact that um, a lot of the strategies are shared um, across the borders also means that the struggles um, within the prisons are very similar and just like the system here is racialized, it too is racialized in Palestine. So we find that there are direct connections between the interests of the U.S. and the prison industry here and the interests of the U.S. within the state of Israel and its um, you know, expansion of empire and, and corporate interests. So prisoners in Palestine have been struggling for decades with you know, administrative detention, which is very similar to solitary confinement. Um, and much 40% of the male population have been in prison, 40% of the Palestinian male population, that is. So given these numbers, there's a, obviously a clear connection to the people of color here in the U.S. and the way in which men of color in particular are used as pawns within this industry and often targeted for um, the prison industrial complex. So we've been trying really hard to make these connections um, within, you know, our broader bases. But within the prisons themselves, Palestinian prisoners have been making those connections and have been reading on struggles, you know, from the days of Bobby Sands um, and after, you know, there's always been, they've been very well read. Our prisons are, in, in a sense, schools, just like they are here, where movements are actually created and built out in, within the prisons. Um, so, you know, right after the hunger strike started here in, in Pelican Bay, statements started to come out from prisons in Palestine expressing their solidarity with the struggles here because they saw that their struggle was intrinsically linked to the struggle um, of prisoners here against the U.S. Um, imperialist country that, you know, is really essentially the root cause of what Palestinians are going through. Azadeh, how important is it to build solidarity networks around the systems of mass incarceration in the U.S.? especially when the establishment media is not covering these hunger strikes either in California or Palestine or general prison conditions at all? It's very important, and I think the um, people who are in prison and on a hunger strike in California also see those connections. I was just at um, New Folsom Prison last Thursday where um, a busload of 50 hunger strikers were ju was just transferred from Pelican Bay. And after my... Um, 
during my visits, they were asking me to look up information. The people who were on hunger strike in the prison were asking me to look up information on how Israel deals with hunger strikers and how they have dealt with hunger strikers because there was a strong feeling that the U.S. and um, California state and the federal state go uh, governments were collaborating with Israel in terms of information sharing, just as Lara said, um, about how to re politically repress these peaceful protest actions and how to delegitimize them and how to um, how to squash it inside prison. So today I was reading about uh, Palestinian prisoners being transferred in an attempt to break their hunger strikes, and that's the exact same thing we're seeing in California. Um, and there's a very um, real consciousness among the prisoners in California that this is a, a global uh, a global struggle against these same issues and that what happened in uh, what ha what's happening in California is uh, linked to what's happening in Palestine and is linked to what happened in, in Ireland and what happened in those prisons there. So there's a very real connection, um, both in terms of the outside collaborative work that we're trying to do to build solidarity and in terms of how the prisoners themselves are seeing um, their moment in history and their struggle for human rights. Laura, how can people get in touch with the Arab Resource and Organizing Center, and what kinds of direct actions are you planning in support of the California prison hunger strikes? Well, one thing we're you know constantly doing is just internal education and, and sharing stories and experiences. So we've created a um, Pelican to Palestine network, which Azadeh is a part of it, as well as other prisoner organizers um, in the Bay Area, to talk about what are happening with different struggles and what's happening and different efforts to challenge these systems of oppression. So, you know, one thing is definitely internal ed, and then the other is um, developing some sort of action plan as far as being participants in the various actions that the coalition is already in the works of, um, you know, of building on. And so we've been participating in various efforts as well as the Corcoran State Prison Caravan and the direct actions that have been happening locally. Um, people can get in touch with the Arab Resource and Organizing Center through our website, ArabOrganizing.org. Um, that's probably the best way, and we'll always be updating about various ways for us to stay in the loop um, with various struggles, prison struggles, as well as other solidarity struggles across the U.S. And as a day, where can people go for more information on the Prisoner Hunger Strike Solidarity Coalition? Uh, we are at prisonerhungerstrikesolidarity.wordpress.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook presence. Just search Prisoner Hunger Strike Solidarity and uh, CA Hunger Strike on Twitter. Um, on our website, you can find all the information about upcoming actions, uh, statements from the prisoners themselves, um, and all the news and action alerts and upcoming events happening across the country. Azadeh Zorabi, you're with the Legal Services for Prisoners with Children and the Prisoner Hunger Strike Solidarity Coalition. And Lara Kiswani, you're with the Arab Resource and Organizing Center. Both of you, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you for having us. وما رحت وما جيت ما ما تس 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 ما تستغرب الشك كيف ما تراها كيف ما تراها سجد لساعتها ممكن تتحرر او توصل وما رحت وما جيت ما 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 تس تس
تستغربش كيف ما طرحها كيف ما طرحها جت له ساعتها ممكن تتحرر او توصل وين ما رحت وين ما جيت ما تستغربش لانه عادي الشعب عادي كالتالي ما تستلطفش ما تسالش عن مرورك للزمان كيف سؤال معقد او مقيد بحيث شوف انت نظره ولولا مره وخلي عينك على الشعب شوف حاله كيف بالداخل وكيف بالخارج مجتهد على طبيعه الحال اللي بسمه زين بالخارج ولحمه كمان بالداخل ما استغربنا كثير ننظر نظرة شباب عمانات الموضة في الشوارع حل في عين الشاب اللي بتشوفه حقه قايم طالع فيش اسئلة على لبس الموضة فكله باين عايم فيش اجوبة حصل في الموضة ما فيش ما فيش مقاوم ما استغربنا كثير عمانات الموضة بنات الموضة حركة لزمن حركة في هيك زمن ما استغربنا كثير عمانات الموضة بنات الموضة حركة لزمن حركة في هيك زمن وين ما رحت وين ما جيت ما ما تستغربش كيف كيف ما طرحها كيف ما طرحها جد لساعتها ممكن تتحرر او توصل بين ما رحت وين ما جيت ما 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 تستغربش كيف ما طرحها كيف ما طرحها جد لساعتها ممكن تتحرر او توصل هي ما استغربنا كثير من كلمه عذرا اصل الواقع تركب عم سيره ارجع كيف ما طرحها كيف ما طرحها جد لساعتها ممكن تتحرر او توصل صحيح الحق موجود بس للسلطه ووضع اليد معروف للشعب كحرامي حرامي مش ابن الوطن يتسمى بل بل متمرد مش ناوي 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 يخضع كيف ما طرعها كيف ما طرعها جدلو ساعتها ممكن تتحرر او توصل افتح عينيك اليوم اليوم ثورة بكرة عورة فلاعب درجة كصار القوة فصارت نشرات الاخبار الوانها تتعدد حسب اجواء التمويل حتى فيش تمييز في تحفيز لعصابة شعبي بالتعجيز بالتعجيز فعين حابب تستفسر روحها تلياسة تنشكوى بتحس بتعاسة فعين سألتم ما ما جاوبوك وين جاوبوك ح ح ح حبسوك وين صبرت بتصير مجاعتهم فما تستغرب من من اسالتهم كيف ما طرعها كيف ما طرعها And that was music by revolution makers in Gaza. In a major victory for free speech and Palestine solidarity activism on California campuses, the U.S. Department of Education has thrown out legal claims filed by Zionist students and Israel-aligned groups against the University of California at Berkeley, UC Irvine, and UC Santa Cruz. The claims allege that Jewish students faced a hostile and anti-Semitic atmosphere on campus because of Palestine solidarity activism and Muslim student organizing, allegations which the current chancellor at UC Berkeley stated on Tuesday after the Department of Education officially closed the complaint are, quote, entirely unfounded. The complaints were filed under Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which protects students against discrimination based on race or ethnic background. Joining us to talk about the significance of the three Title VI claims being dropped against the University of California is Hanan Serafi. Hanan is the president of Students for Justice in Palestine at UC Irvine. Hanan, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you for having me. So if you could tell us first your reaction and the reaction of your fellow SJP members to this news that the Israel lobby groups couldn't convince the Department of Education that Muslim student organizing and Palestine solidarity activism were creating a hostile environment on campuses. Well, you know, it's definitely not surprising, at least expected, that um, this lawsuit was dismissed, um, especially for a lot of pro-Palestinian activists on campus, especially at the University of California, where there's been a history of stifling pro-Palestinian activists on campus. So it's definitely a victory for the pro, pro for any pro-Palestinian activists on campus, and in general, any activists willing to um, fight for what they believe in. 
What kind of message does the closure of these Title VI claims send to the groups and individuals who have used them to intimidate, harass, and threaten not just students, but faculty as well who speak out against Israel's policies in classrooms and on campus? It definitely sends a message that pro-Palestinian activists are not going to be silenced in regards to policies of Israel, especially where history, um, there have been history cases where Palestinians have been as you can see Earth on eleven and being put on probation. It basically sends a message that we can't be silenced. Um, every student has a right to free speech and that um, it really is a general like victory for the pro Palestinian activists on campus. Hanan, with the dismissals of the three Title Six claims, will activists on California campuses feel more confident in their organizing? Oh definitely. De- definitely activists will feel much more relieved to a protest. Um, on campus and to voice their opinions. Um, a lot of activists have, especially pro-Palestinian acts, been harassed on campus in regards to, as you can see, around the numerous lawsuits that have been filed. Um, there definitely will the fact that a lawsuit has been dismissed. It will give students the idea and backing that they are being defended by federal courts, um, defended that they have the right, their constitutional right to free speech. So they're going to be definitely more comfortable in speaking out and voicing their opinions and being just general activists on campus. Well, we're going to watch this very closely, and there are still some Title VI claims that are pending. We're going to keep our eye on that and see what happens with those as well. Hanan Serafi, you are the president of Students for Justice in Palestine at UC Irvine. Thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. And for more on this story, visit electronicintifada.net. Thanks, Hanan. Thank you. In related news, this year's Students for Justice in Palestine National Conference will take place at Stanford University's campus beginning on October 25th and will bring together hundreds of student activists from all over the country working on Palestine solidarity issues. Joining us to talk a little about this year's conference is Ghassan Rafidi. Ghassan is a national organizer with SJP and joins us from the San Francisco Bay Area. Ghassan, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you for having me. Talk a little bit about the conference this year, what the organizers are expecting, and how it will perhaps be different from past conferences. Well, Nora, this year's conference um, is going to be significant um, for a lot of reasons. Um, primarily, uh, we are we are moving from the margins to the center. We're, we're noticing that uh, the, the work that's being done on campuses all over the country is becoming more central to a number of groups, not just the specifically designed pro-Palestinian organizations. Um, and and it, it's particularly important that this is happening in California because of the significance of uh, the fight to just to be able to speak about Palestine and uh, to give the Palestinian perspective that's getting um, it's getting a lot of a lot of fight from anti-Palestinian groups, uh, particularly in the UC campus campuses. So, for us to be on in California where the fight is happening, it's going to be really great, especially for uh, those who have done so much great work to share that uh, with uh, SJPs all over the country. Um, it's particularly important because in past conferences, uh, we've seen that a lot of people and a lot of uh, SJPs, including the one that I was a part of at Kent State University, we were just getting started and didn't really know where to begin. So. Uh, but now we've seen so many SPPs uh, come by and the two conferences, both at Columbia two years ago and at the University of Michigan last year, gave us enough information to start sharing where 
Uh, now we can have higher level conversations. Uh, we can uh, uh, get into uh, a lot of other places that we haven't been able to get to before. Uh, we can dive deeper into issues of sexism and patriarchy and homophobia and Islamophobia. And these are things that we covered in the past, but uh, the more we develop our arguments and the more we develop our spaces on our campuses, the more we can help groups outside of just the Palestinian movement. And to be able to become more central on campuses like that is, is going to be a big theme in this conference. Let's talk a little bit more about the growth of the student movement. Uh, as the organizing around boycott, divestment, and sanctions continues to grow and expand, and as more victories are being won in terms of free speech rights, you just mentioned what's happening in California, and especially with the dismissal of three Title VI claims this past week. How can we assess what the National Student Movement for Palestine Solidarity looks like on the ground right now? Well, uh, in different regions, obviously there's going to be a, a, a huge difference in terms of how it works. But what we're seeing nationally is that it's becoming a lot easier for Palestinians to get support on campuses and pro-Palestinian students to get the support they need to make sure that these attempts at silencing the Palestinian perspective fail. And Title VI was a big part of that. I mean, it was an attempt to make uh, SJP and related groups stop criticizing Israel. And uh, thankfully, so far, it's been a massive failure. And uh, the, the fight was a few, even just a few years ago. Uh, maybe five, ten years ago when I first started um, organizing on campuses as an undergraduate, the, the fight was just being able to have the argument in public. Being able to be given a space to speak about Palestinian issues was, was it a fight. Now we know we have those spaces. We know we have those allies. So uh, on most campuses now, it's a matter of being able to develop that debate on campus and to give a legitimate Palestinian perspective and to make sure that that perspective is not only heard but respected. And that's a huge step uh, in the right direction from where we were even just 10 years ago. And can you talk about how you see the BDS movement growing, uh, especially over the last year, and what students are talking about planning for this new school year? The BDS movement has been so wildly successful um, in so many different parts of the country and in so many different forums. I mean, you've had churches taking uh, boycott stances, you've seen schools voting on it, and it's not just the traditional liberal schools that we think of like UC Berkeley and uh, UC Irvine and these places. We've also seen it in, in Oberlin, in Ohio, where I'm from, and that, that's, that's something that nobody in Ohio could have ever expected five years ago. And the exponential growth, I think, comes from the fact that it worked to uh, end apartheid in South Africa and when it worked in South Africa, it didn't have the adverse effects that uh, a number of Zionists are constantly claiming will happen. You know, they, they make it seem like the victories in boycott, divestment, and sanctions against uh, Israel for their crimes against humanity, against the Palestinians, they make it seem like that's going to destroy Israel or that's going to uh, throw the Jews out of the area. But that's completely false. That's not what happened. Uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, during the Civil Rights Movement. It's not what happened in South Africa and, uh, when apartheid ended. So we know these things work, and uh, a lot of people are starting to realize that and starting to realize that there's more to it than just uh, two people fighting. There's a serious moral argument where Palestinians are being oppressed in such a way that people just can't take it anymore. 
Finally, Ghassan Rafidi, tell us how people can learn more about the National SJP Conference coming up and how they can support it. You can always go to uh, sjpnational.org or follow SJP National um, on Twitter. Uh, you can also donate. Uh, there is a donation page on the website, uh, sjpnational.org, where um, much of those donations um, will go towards helping students be able to get to the conference. Uh, and that's really important because college students, particularly the ones across the country and not uh, in California, it, it's cost prohibitive to try to fly in and to try to find rooms. And we're doing everything we can to make it easier on those students. And uh, any support that we can get in terms of uh, donations or telling people about um, the, the BDS movement on campuses or talking about SJP or even contacting a local SJP if you're within a college town and finding out specifically what they intend to learn at the conference. So that, that would also be greatly beneficial. And again, that website is sjpnational.org and on Twitter at sjpnational. Ghassan Rafidi, thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thanks for having me, Nora. And that's it for our weekly Electronic Intifada podcast. For news, information, cultural features, and reviews, pointed opinion and analysis by our team of correspondents and bloggers, visit us online at electronicintifada.net. You can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast. And on behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening.